If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah and uh, we're picking up in chapter two in just a moment in Nehemiah chapter two. And we're going to be looking at verse 17 and a few verses there together as we uh, continue our our sermon series. I I want to mention um, somebody had said something to me and they said, well, pastor, you need to. You need to tell us that. You need to share that with the congregation. But if you've not picked up one of these devotion books, I want to invite you to pick up one of these devotion books out in the foyer. Uh, there's some over here and some over there, and uh, we're providing those to you as a church. But anyhow, it, it's a little devotion book that I, I spent some time uh, writing, uh, really literally two weeks before we started our prayer and fasting. And the Lord just laid on my heart that I... I really wanted to give us a, a journey that we could kind of walk together. And so those two weeks before, I spent about 60 hours working on this devotional book. And so uh, so it's not something that, that I did in the past. It's something that I did for you and for this congregation and for this mission and this journey that we've been on in regards to prayer and fasting. So it's called Chili Pepper Devotionals. And, uh, and so grab one of those out there in the foyer, and I, I believe that you'll enjoy it. Um, wow, this has been a week for Heidi and I. We, we've had all kinds of things happening. Our little bulldog, we have an English bulldog, got bit by a rattlesnake Friday night. And so I thought, well, okay, this dog's probably going to die. Well, she's survived, and she's done great, and I didn't spend $6,000. Uh, but, but anyways, we got some help for her. But, but anyhow, she's doing great this morning. I, I looked at her today, and her, all the swelling had almost gone completely down. And, and so we're happy that her name is Zoe, by the way. And I keep threatening the staff that I'm going to bring my, our English bulldog to church one Sunday so people can see her. I mean, she is a character, but anyhow, uh, but, but she seems to be doing fine. Um, so we're going to Nehemiah again. We, we started there last week. And remember, of course, the Israelites had been in Babylonian captivity for about 75 years prior, and, and that had ended. But yet there's this remnant that is still there and, of course, Nehemiah is a part of that. And, and remember last week, he, he gets the message that, that Jerusalem is in a, stat, a sad state of affair. And, and, and the walls are torn down and the gates have been burned. And so Nehemiah gets deep into it and he becomes emotional about it. And he wants to respond. And so, of course, he gets the permission from you know, King Artaxerxes, and he, he has a letter of passage, actually a couple letters, so that he might go back to Jerusalem and that he might do some work. And, and all of this renewing begins, it begins by remembering and remembering that sometimes, you know, there is an impossible barrier before us. And, in, and the remembering, it might seem impossible, but we remember that God is a God who is a deliverer. Amen. And remembering uh, was for Nehemiah the way forward in, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the challenges that was there in front of, of, of the people of Israel in regards to rebuilding the wall. He, he realized that remembering was the way forward. And the last one we mentioned last week was remembering is the way to renewal as we remember the instruction of the Lord. In fact, the times and the events that we read about in Nehemiah are so important that they... There is a companion book to Nehemiah. So whenever you read Nehemiah, you want to pick up that companion book, which is Ezra, and read them together. Because there's some things there that I think that will be important for us to, uh, to remember as we read those two books together. Um, so we're going to go to Nehemiah this morning again. Nehemiah chapter 2. 
and beginning at verse 17. But before I read that, I want to read our statement this morning. We have a statement. I believe that we have it up there for you. Let's go ahead and look at the statement. And I, I mentioned once before, of course, we understand that the inerrancy that we, under, we believe in is an inerrancy in all things that pertain to salvation. And so we understand that. And so as we read this, the more important thing is the attitude in which we have as we read the word of God so that we're saying in a heart, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to respond, Lord, to your commands and your direction, and I want to glorify you as I look at his word this morning. So would you join me today? We've been sitting for quite a while. Let's stand to read this statement together. We're going to stand, and then we'll read the statement, and we'll sit back down together. Let's read the statement together. I'm about to study the incorruptible and errant word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to his wisdom And I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with his repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I wish I had it memorized, but I don't. They are looking. Okay. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to grow, I'm ready to change and hide his word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. Amen. And you may be seated. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to pick up there beginning at verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for Lord just speaking to our hearts as we as we remember. And Lord, we began last week in remembering and, and Father in remembering you began to just renew our spirit and our soul. And I pray, Father, that Lord, that that as we remember that now that we we would follow this example that Nehemiah gives us and as he led his people that we would begin to rebuild. And Father, that might mean one might mean one thing for someone, and it might mean something for someone else. As we think about you, Father God, your role in rebuilding our faith, in rebuilding our love for you and our love for each other, rebuilding the mission that you've given us as Mission Church of the Nazarene, Father, we just submit ourselves today to you today. And we pray that, Father, that, Lord, in all that is said and done, that you will be glorified as you begin to build in us your spirit. As we recognize, Lord, your goodness and your love. 
and Lord, mostly your sovereignty. Thank you for this word. I pray your blessing upon it. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, I want to begin this morning as we, we just kind of reflect upon this, this passage that we just read. And remember, uh, Nehemiah had returned, of course, to Jerusalem. And he had taken that trip at night. And he had, he had kind of ridden around, you know, the city walls. And he had looked at all the destruction and the gates that had been burned. And, and he was beginning to assess, you know, what was happening. But I, I, I want to reflect for just a moment about the purpose of a wall or the construction of a wall around a city during ancient times. I mean, why did they build walls around cities? I mean, you probably have some answers. You can think about that this morning for just a minute. I mean, why did they build walls around cities? Perhaps to keep the enemy out. Maybe to protect the occupants that were, you know, there living inside the city. Maybe for certain to hold the wildlife at bay to make a clear delineation between the outside world versus the safer, you know, inside space. But probably mostly we talk about building walls around the city was it was to make it difficult for the enemy to gain access. And and as I talk about the wall that's built around the city, there is this imagery that just kind of comes to mind when we think about the wall and we think about, you know, the walls of Jericho that that, of course, you know, that that Joshua led his troops in marching around. And remember, the, the will of God was to march around the city, what, seven times? And then they were to blare, you know, blow their trumpets and, and to shout and to light their torches. And, and, of course, what happens, they march around the city seven times and the walls come tumbling down. And so we have all this symbolism, this idea of, of, of walls that are built around a city. Heidi and I <clears throat> went to Israel a few years ago, went to the Holy Land. And, and of course, we spent some time in, in, in Jerusalem and and there we visited the Welling Wall. We have a few pictures here. The Welling Wall or the Western Wall, which is, of course, a great architectural monument and one of the holiest sites of Jerusalem um, for Judea and, of course, the Jewish faith. Now, historically, we know the Welling Wall is the outermost site and last remnant of King Solomon's original temple, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, you know, thousands of years ago. And, and for me, though, as I reflect upon the trip that Heidi and I made to the Holy Land, It is so very curious how many faiths, I mean, people from all kinds of backgrounds and different faiths gravitate to this place and they are humbled as they stand before this particular wall and they cry out to God. It's interesting that this becomes this intersection where, you know, the world encounters the idea that there is a living God. (laughs) Amen. And that there is this, this God that is sovereign and this God that is over all and this God that is in all. And it's interesting as we look at the symbolism of, of this idea that there is a wall in which we are reminded of the presence of God. And I'm wondering in my mind this morning if it, it, if it is possible or if, if it is it's important that we have this kind of symbolism in our mind for us in our own spiritual walk, in our own spiritual life, to are reminded of the presence and the power of God in our lives. Amen. 
And so it's important that we, we internalize the significance of, of these kinds of reminders. And, and in the book of Nehemiah, we, we know that Nehemiah really had two central goals. And, and the first goal was that, that he wanted to restore the city. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, a decision had to be made and Nehemiah makes the decision and, and Nehemiah takes action and he, he begins to work on this rebuilding the wall so that the city might be restored for God's glory. Amen. But the second thing that he wants to do is he wants to rededicate the people to God or really more specifically, he wants the people to rededicate themselves to God. And so we go then to chapter three and we're going to just kind of travel this morning through chapter two and three and four and five. And we're going to take some pieces and look at really what it is that Nehemiah is doing in regards to speaking about the task that was before them in rebuilding the wall. And so what he does is he divides and conquers. He identifies the parts of the wall and the towers in the wall and the gates of the wall. In fact, in, in chapter three, he outlines some of those gates like the sheep gate and the fish gate and the old city gate and the valley gate and the dung gate. And yes, that gate was used for that. <laughs> and the fountain gate, and the horse gate, and the east gate, and the inspection gate. And needless to say, Nehemiah was a determined individual, and he his determined faith had a unique and a certain persistence that really becomes a revelation for everyone else. In his persistence and in his faith, he is this revelation of what it means to follow a God that is a living God and a God that is a loving God and a God that is sovereign. And so in that, he begins to, again, give this revelation of faith, if you will, for life, not only life then, but for life today. And I want to share a few of those Revelations with you this morning. And here is the first one. And for Nehemiah, I believe this was true for him. He shows it to the people then, and I believe it's relevant for us now. In fact, when you look at the text, we look at the scripture, we oftentimes, we say as preachers, there is trouble in the text. And when we recognize that for God's people, there is trouble in the text, there is a parallel truth that sometimes there is the same similar kind of trouble in life. And then we look at the text and we say that there is hope in the text. So there is not only trouble in the text, but there is also hope in the text. And in a very parallel, same, similar way, there is hope in life. Amen. And so he kind of gives us that or he works that way, saying, okay, here is the problem, but here is the answer. So let's begin like this. In chapter 4, go to chapter 4. If you have God's word, we're going to look at that together. Go to chapter 4 and we're going to pick up at verse 1 and read uh, through really verse two and his his revelation of faith is this that destruction is not final say that with me out loud destruction is not final let's begin to read chapter four verse one when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall he became angry and was greatly incensed he ridiculed the jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of samaria he said what are those feeble jews doing <laughs> Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? You can hear this jeering and this almost sarcasm as we read this. Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? You see, folks, the enemy wants us to believe that there are no options in life. 
By the way, the enemy wants us to believe that the kingdom of God is dead and that that God is not sovereign and that God is not living and that there is no power that is available. You see, the enemy wants us to believe as we see this trouble in the text that there's the same kind of trouble in this world that we're living now. He wants us to believe that there are problems here and the problems are too big. He wants us to believe that there is this deception in life, that life is useless and there is no answer. That is the word of the enemy. In fact, he begins to influence you so much that in your own mind, you become your own worst enemy and you think that there is nothing that you can do. What does the scripture say? It says that there were heaps of rubble. There were pieces of brokenness. And in fact, heaps of rubble means that there is debris and debris is the result of destruction. So there are heaps of rubble after destruction. After there is destruction in life, and I don't know about your life, but sometimes... In our life, there is there is destruction. Sometimes there there is debris because of maybe abuse that we've gone through. Or maybe because there is an individual in your life at some time in the past that you trusted and they crossed lines that should have not been crossed. And they did things that they should have not done. And the result of that is that there is debris in your life. And maybe it's the betrayal of a friend. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a past marriage. And the result of all those experiences and all of those things oftentimes means that there's the, this debris in life. And the enemy jumps on that and he wants you to think that life is worthless and that life is useless. He, he wants you to believe that. And I don't know what you've been wrestling with this week, but I believe that, you know, the enemy likes to, you know, play on this this kind of down downside of life. I I will never forget going to the altar and kneeling down with a, a little gal by the name of Rose several church assignments ago. And I remember kneeling with Rose and and Rose, she was just 13 years of age and she was just crying like a baby. And I can't remember what I preached on, but I remember going down to the altar and. And just kind of kneeling across from her. And and she began to share with me about things that were happening in her life currently that, that I'm not even going to repeat this morning. It involved her, step, her stepfather. I mean the kind of thing that, that absolutely just literally rapes a person of their emotion. And it absolutely destroys them so that they are just simply a pile of debris after the experience. You see, the enemy wants to reduce us down to nothing. And there's one thing about, you know, the generations that we're surrounded with today is that I'm learning that no matter what generation that we are, whether we are an older generation or whether we are a younger generation, that the experience of being a human is the same no matter what the generation is. I, I hit an article that was written about generation or Gen Z, they call it. I, I, I'm not that familiar uh, with Gen Z, but I, I, I made myself familiar with Gen Z. It, it stands for Generation Z. It's the generation coming up after the millennials and, and the birth dates of the Gen Z is not specific, the late 90s. The 2000s, these kids that have just that are just coming of age. And and I I read about them and 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 they are certainly without any question uh, a 
a high tech generation. In fact, their life is defined by technology. They are savvy, smart. They are truly this Gen Z. They are truly the smartphone generation. It's interesting, their life is full of dichotomies, like the fact that devices help them save time, but yet they struggle with with boredom. (laughs) And then I think about Gen Z, and I I, I interact with some. I mean, there's really young kids that are becoming, starting to become adults. And and what I'm, I'm discovering is they also can feel lonely. They also can feel lost and they also experience brokenness and betrayal. And folks, no matter what the generation is, the experience of being human is the same. The Israelites were broken people. I mean, think about the scenario that Nehemiah wades into. I mean, everything that represented faith and family for them had been lost and their city was in chaos. And this is the very reason that he infuses them with this faith. And this infusing of faith was significant. And then there is this turning point. I mean, there is this great hinge that this whole thing in this text hinges upon. And that is what Nehemiah does in his spirit and in his faith, in his attitude. In fact, go to chapter 6 or chapter 4. Go to chapter 4, looking at verse 6. Look at that for just a moment. Go to chapter 4, looking at verse 6, and it's important that we really follow the scripture this morning, and we look at the text, because it's giving us an answer. I mean, how does he deal with it? When there's trouble in the text, what is the answer in the text? And when there's trouble in the world, what is the answer for life in the world? Well, he gives us kind of an answer here. There was trouble in the text, but now in chapter 4 and verse 6, here's what we read. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. Until all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. And I think the idea here is the concept is that God is a restorer of people. God is an expert of rubble restoration. Did you hear that? Amen. God is an expert in rubble restoration. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, maybe your life is a heap pile of debris. I don't know what your past holds, but I know this, that God is an expert in rubble restoration. Amen. I'll never forget that call I made on on, on this young father. I opened the door, actually knocked on the door and he, he opened the door and And here's this young father. He has about three little kids that are running around and they were dirty and the house was a mess. And I was only about 27 years old as a young pastor. The father had a joint in his hand and he was high. And later on, I learned that he was having a hard time holding a job and life was just a mess. And I began to share with him a little bit about who I was, and then he invited me to sit down, and he was kind of in the couch, just kind of leaning back, man. He was, he was comfortable. <laughs> Boy, the landscape and society has changed since then. But anyways, he's just leaning back, and he, he's uh, listening, and I, I share Jesus with him. I share Jesus to a high guy. <laughs> 
And, you know, he sat up on the couch and he began to listen. And that was just the beginning of that story of that journey with that family, because later on he accepted Jesus as his personal savior. And and then I could tell all kinds of stories that spun off from that story and stories about his wife and stories about his children and vacation Bible school and their lives transformed. And all of a sudden there's a string of stories of the sovereignty and the power and the victory of God in their life. Because God is an expert in rubble restoration. Amen. And I don't know what you're facing in life right now. But Nehemiah is reminding us in this revelation of faith that destruction is not final. And maybe you're one this morning that needs to hear that. Mom and dad. And maybe you're praying for that child or that that, that, that college student or that individual that is just out there and they're so far out there, you're thinking there's no hope. Well, let me say it again. Destruction is not final when it comes to the power of God. The second idea, revelation of faith, is the future is not futile. Say that with me. The future is not futile. We look at chapter 4 and verse 10 now. Go to verse 10. Look at that. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. Listen to that. Here's the trouble in the text. The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. I I love the statement. I love the statement I've heard before. And here it is. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's where God picks up. It's so when we come to the inner selves that we, we realize that's when, when we, we come to this place where we cannot, we realize that God can. And I don't know if you've ever truly felt exasperated before, but I have felt exasperated. I, I have felt that there's too much that is wrong. There's too much resistance. There's too little money. There's too many people that don't care. And maybe it's a church project and maybe it's a home project and maybe it's something about my own individual life. And maybe it's a child that's going sideways on us. But folks, I know what it means to be exasperated. I wonder if there's anybody else here that has ever felt that way, that you feel exasperated. I come to the text here and the enemy had said, and if we read the whole chapter, the enemy had said, if they do not put an end to this. Here's the enemy now, Sanballat. If you do not put an end to this, building the wall, if you do not put an end to this, we will kill you. That's what the enemy says. If you don't stop this, stop doing this, building this wall, we will kill you. And then I love Nehemiah's response in chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 14 with me. Because this is Nehemiah's response. Here's what he says. He says, I stood up and said to the nobles. Now, their life has just been threatened. The enemy that has been oppressing them is saying, we're going to kill you if you keep this up. And instead of shirking in fear and quitting, here's what Nehemiah does. Chapter 4, verse 14. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons, daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that they were, that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned the wall, each to our own work. Now, Nehemiah reminds them of what was important in life. I mean, he reminds them really of the, the things that they, 
they, they value. And, and, and he's saying, look, this is what we're working towards. This is, this is what we're fighting for. And, and he leads them away from this, 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 this thing of, you know, focusing on the non-essentials or, or, you know, being distracted by the little things in life that do not matter. And he reminds them of family and, and the awesomeness of God and that the real goal was establishing this, this, this godly community or this spiritual community. I, I guess the question that comes to my mind this morning is, as I am thinking about Mission Church of the Nazarene, I'm wondering how well we are doing with this. I'm wondering how well are we doing in establishing a community of God. I mean, not hyper-focusing on the little things and the things that we think matter, but man, when we really evaluate it and we talk about values, they really do not matter. I mean, you know, the color of the carpet or the kind of music we sing or the volume of the music or this program or that program, we get so hyper-focused on all those things that we forget the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ and crucified and resurrected. And the main thing is that we are on a mission to share Jesus Christ with this lost and broken world around us. And if we allow all these other things to take the forefront and we hyper focus on those other things and we forget the main thing, which is sharing Jesus Christ, then we are not a church on mission. I'm excited about vacation Bible school. I have to put a plug in. Because Vacation Bible School is a on-purpose effort for us to reach out to families that do not go to this church and introduce children to Jesus Christ. You see, it's the mission that should be in the forefront. It is the mission that is the main thing, and the mission is to share Jesus Christ with people that have never met Jesus Christ before. I remember when God called me to preach. I was 15 years of age, and... By the grace of God, I had prayed with a few of my friends to accept Christ and they'd become a part of the youth group. And I felt no more, more exciting rush and thrill in life than that when I was able to pray with somebody. And God then called me to preach. And I remember the journey as I began. And I went to Northwest Nazarene University and seminary and all that. And all of the thing that was driving me, I mean, all the emotion behind it was that I wanted to share Jesus Christ with this world. And I did not want anybody to go to hell. I wanted everybody to go to heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, shame on me if I forget the mission that God has called me to. God has called us to share Jesus with this lost and broken world. Now, Jesus, he, he, he wants your loved ones to be saved. Jesus wants your neighbors to be reached. And he, and he wants the saints to grow in grace and, and discipleship. And, I mean, that's all part of the process. But if we get the mission you know, out of sync or out of order, then folks, we, we're going to miss it all together. I guess the question again I'm asking is how are we doing as a community of God and sharing the mission of Jesus Christ? You see, so we can say again, as Nehemiah reminds us in this revelation of faith, the future is not futile. There is future. There is a purpose and there's direction. Here is the third revelation of faith. The work is not finished. Amen. Look at chapter five and verse nine. That's what he says there. So I continued. So I continued. What are you doing? What you are doing is not right. I mean, this is so natural in line with who Nehemiah was. I mean, he's heard about the sad state of things in Jerusalem. And, of course, he's working on that and rebuilding its fortifications. Uh, 
But then he discovers something in the midst of this, in the building the wall and reestablishing the gates. He discovers that there are people that are disadvantaged and there are people that are poor. And those that are in charge, those that have a little bit of power, are taking advantage of those that are disadvantaged. And they're charging interest, too much interest to those that are poor. And he stands up and he says something. I mean, this is significant for us as a individual believer, as a Christian. He stands up and he says something. And what does he say? He's saying what you're doing is not right. Now, it's not popular to be the dissenting voice. I mean, it's not popular to speak out when nobody else does. But here, Nehemiah is the master of identifying a need. And then he's also master of taking action when he identifies a need. And that's exactly what he does. He recognizes that there are poor and disadvantaged people. And he begins to step in that empty space. And he begins to say, look, we cannot do this. We are a people of God. And and we must stop because it is not right. And and he takes all kinds of action. I love it as he's reestablishing, again, the community of God or a people of the community of God. And and, and in this whirlwind of activity, what does he do? He sets up guards and defends against the constant threats who oppose their efforts. He repairs the wall in 52 days. He makes a record of the genealogy of all the nobles and the officials and the people who were living there in Judah at the time. And then he impunctuates all of this with his prayers that he offers up to God in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 19. I mean, it's interesting, this whirlwind of activity that takes place as he is establishing the presence of God in that community. And in fact, here's his response in chapter 5, looking at verse 12. Go to chapter 5 with me. This is our last text this morning. Go to chapter 5, looking at verse 12, part B. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out their house and possessions. Anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out, shaken out and emptied. And this is. This is such a visual. I mean, this is really, it's a turning point. I, I mean, I, I believe that this was a moment when it, it really, it really made a difference. I mean, it was a, is what one would say, this was the game changer. Because what Nehemiah does is he holds himself to the same standard that he holds everyone else. And really, in essence, what Nehemiah was saying, he's saying, look, God is not finished. And this is just the beginning of what God wants to do. And I'm thinking of that, that, that spirit, I mean, that in attitude in which he is speaking. And I, I think, man, this man, this can really apply to our church this morning. Because God is not finished in what he is doing here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. I mean, this is the very... Their very beginning of what God wants to do in our church. And this means that just as Nehemiah was saying, Lord, I'm going to shake out my robe. I'm going to shake out my garment and, and this is my life. My life is exposed for all to see. Then maybe possibly that's exactly what the Lord wants to do for us in our church in this day, in this age. That perhaps that God is giving us an opportunity to say, Lord, I, I want to I, I make sure that there's nothing that is between you and I, Father. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to really shake out the garment, so to speak, kind of like Nehemiah did. He said, look, now 
I open up the folds and I, I shake out my life before everybody. And maybe that's what this morning is as a church that we can, you know, open up things and we can really say, Father in heaven, you know, I want to I want to just, you know, reveal everything to you. I want to expose to you, Father, you know, that bad spirit or that attitude. I want to expose to you, Father, that sin that does not belong in my life. Father in heaven, I, I, I want to I want to shake out absolutely everything so that there's nothing that is unknown to you, Father. That's what Nehemiah does as he stands before the people. He takes his robe, his garment, and he he opens the folds and he says, look, I am hiding nothing from you and I'm hiding nothing from God. And maybe this morning this is a chance for us to say, Lord, I want to shake out my garment before you. Lord, I want to expose whatever it is, Father, that's in my life right now, Father. I want to just give it to you, and I'm going to trust you, Father, with whatever it is. And so I I want to invite us just to bow our heads. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and we're going to have communion here in just a moment together. And we're going to just have an opportunity for us to say, Lord, Lord, I'm just going to shake out my, my, my life before you. I want to shake out, Lord, in my life that... That, that what does not belong, that thing that does not belong in my life. Lord, I want to reveal to you, Father, maybe that, that spirit that I've kind of been hanging on to, or maybe it's an attitude that, Lord, that does not please you. And, and so, Father, I'm just going to bring that to you, and I'm going to shake it out before you right now. Maybe it's an unwillingness to forgive. And maybe God is speaking to you right now about forgiving somebody. And you're just going to shake it out before the Lord right now. Because he, he wants you to he wants you just to come to him right now and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. So I want to invite you just to shake out whatever it is that you need to just give to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with it. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I, I thank you, Lord, for Lord, this this example that Nehemiah has given us as he led his people. To remind them that destruction was not final. The Lord, that you can take that destruction and you can create something beautiful out of it in our lives. And, and that the future is not finished or futile. That Lord, that there is this great future that is ahead of us. Father, you've called us to a mission as a church. And that we're to keep that mission the first and most important thing. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and lifted up. And Father in heaven, I pray for, Lord, that one right now that is just feeling the voice of your Holy, or hearing the voice of your Holy Spirit. I pray for that one right now that is just, Lord, hearing you and just wanting to respond to you, that you would speak to that heart, that mind. Lord, I thank you for that. So, Father, we just bow our heads and we close our eyes. We come before you. We submit to you, Father, and your sovereignty. And we just expose it to you. We give it to you, Father. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. And nobody looking around. And you know what the Lord is speaking to you about. You know what the Lord is saying right now. And he's, he's challenged you just to kind of really just open the folds. Just to shake everything out. To say, God, it's yours. I'm giving this to you right now, Father. I'm going to trust this with you, God. You know what it is. And so you come in confidence. Knowing that God is a a loving God, a forgiving God. And you're just going to just bring this to Him right now.
So, Father in heaven, I pray that you would hear that prayer. That you'd respond to that, that one, that individual, that life right now. And just saying, Father, I'm just opening it up to you. So I do that right now, verbally. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed. Are you praying that way right now? If you're praying that way right now, just lift your hand saying, Lord, I'm just giving it to you. I'm going to reveal it to you right now, Father. I'm going to shake this out. It's yours, Father. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to release it to you. God bless you. Anybody else, just lift your hand up. Thank you, Father. Anybody else? Thank you, Father. Just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you. Thank you, Father, for hearing our voice. Answer this prayer today. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.